We are in the midst of this series on the book of James. If you're visiting with us for the first time this morning, we're right in the middle of chapter 3. And um, just as a, a brief introduction, if, if you are new with us, James was the brother of Jesus. And he writes this book for very practical advice for the Christian life. It's down to earth, it cuts to the chase, and we've found that already over the many weeks that we've been doing this together. We're going to find that all the more so this morning as we dive into this topic of wisdom. So let me invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to chapter 3. We're going to read verses 13 through 18, the last part of that chapter, and we'll also have it up here on the the screens for you as well. Let me invite you to hear now the, the word of the Lord. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure. It's then peaceable, gentle open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So last week we, uh, we opened up to the first part of this chapter and we learned about the importance of the spoken word. Um, If you weren't with us last Sunday, maybe out for the holiday weekend, um, let me just catch you up. James gave us these word pictures to help emphasize his point. He said that the word is like a bit in a horse's mouth. He said, your tongue can influence the entire body. As such, it's like a rudder that, that moves and directs a ship where it should go. And that means it can bring much blessing to someone's life. Or at the same time, it can be a spark and a curse that starts a wildfire. But this morning, James turns us from this teaching on bridling our tongue, and he now shifts to this examination on what is probably the most important virtue of all time. He says, if if the tongue is the presenting issue, which we've talked about the last few weeks, he said, we need to actually talk about the more pressing issue because the tongue reveals the heart. And James says, if we're going to talk about our words, we need to talk about this thing called wisdom. Look at how he jumps into this topic in verse 13. He says, who here thinks they're wise? Show of hands, who here is wise and understanding among you? We need to talk. Because our wisdom or our lack of wisdom is revealed every time in our words. Now that's a bold question. If I asked you, who here here is the wisest among them all? Any, any, Any hands? No, right? It's, wisdom itself would say you probably don't raise your hand and claim to be wise in the midst of a room. I tell you, um, at the same time, I think we'd all have to admit that somewhere within us is a desire, a strong desire to be known as wise. Right? No one wakes up in the morning and the, the first thing out of their mind is, what foolish thing can I do today? How can I be made a fool today? It's an insult to be called a fool, right? But to be named wise, that's the holy grail of all the virtues. And we know this because long before James even wrote this letter, the concept of wisdom, you can trace it all the way through antiquity with all the famous philosophers. 
You can walk all the way back to Socrates and, and find these, these debates going on about what is wisdom. You might remember Socrates himself said the beginning of wisdom is to know nothing. Still today, we chase that very concept. In fact, I'll show you what I mean. Forbes magazine just a few months ago wrote an article about how to gain more wisdom in the workplace, right? We all want that, how you can run up the chain. And this is how they define wisdom. Look at this. They said, knowledge is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing when to say it. Would you agree? Knowledge is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing when to say it. Knowledge is, is seeing the terrain before you. Wisdom is knowing how you're going to climb it. And we all crave that idea of being wise because we know that wise decisions lead to a prosperous life. I've got my mom and dad this morning with me. And uh, I tell you, lately I sound more like them with my parenting. I say things to my girls like this. I say, let's make wise decisions today. <laughs> right? Was that a wise choice to put the sticker on the side of the car? No, it was not. <laughs> Look at this in Ecclesiastes 2.13. It says, I saw that wisdom... Is better than folly, better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. Sit with this with me for a minute. Who is the wisest person you've ever met? Who is the wisest person you know in your life? And what is it about that person's character that makes them so virtuous? I read earlier this week that 6% of Americans believe they can take a grizzly bear in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Anyone see that? 6%, which at first glance, you think to yourself, you know what, that's a pretty low number. I think we're still doing all right. Until you do the math, that's 19 million people. As Reed pointed out, one in, at least six of you in this room believe you can take on a grizzly by that same math. 80% said they could take on a lion. So that means a 1,000-pound animal is running towards you at 35 miles per hour with razor-sharp teeth, and you believe you can take them. We know what foolishness is, don't we? But what is wisdom? See, I ask that because James actually divides the word into two separate categories. He says, if you believe yourself to be wise, you should know there's actually two kinds of wisdom in this life. And if you're pursuing the wrong one, it will be to you folly and foolishness. Look at this in verse 15. He says, first, there's earthly wisdom. That is unspiritual wisdom of this world, and it is actually demonic. He says, second, though, there's heavenly wisdom. Look at this in verse 17. He says, this wisdom comes from above. There is false wisdom, and there is true wisdom. There is secular wisdom, maybe common wisdom, and then there is divine wisdom. And James wants us to know the first is an imposter. It's earthly. It leads to chaos and disorder vile practices of every kind. The second is heavenly. It comes from God himself. He says, this wisdom leads to peace and righteousness and life. And if it's true, as Paul once said, that we are citizens not of this earth, but of heaven, then we should be careful in discerning which one we're in pursuit of because that changes everything. You probably never heard of the Mr. Chips factory in New Zealand but apparently overseas, it's all the rage. This, this little business was established about 50 or so years ago in Auckland. And its owners brought this really simple mindset to the business. They wanted to create the best gluten-free, non-GMO, field-to-fork potato chips in the world. Don't we all? 
And one of the keys of this model was to bring potatoes directly from local fields and then have local hands checking them along a conveyor belt to ensure the perfection of each one. If you're from Manhattan, you know all about this, or Churchill. Just a few weeks ago, one of the handlers found this anomaly, though, that shut down the entire plant. He picked up this mud-covered ball off the belt, and he was, he was perplexed by this thing. He had been doing quality control for years, but this was like nothing he had ever seen before. So after he examined it and looked it over, he handed it over to his supervisor, and they took a look at it together. And under the magnifying glass, his supervisor said, you know what, I think it's a pomegranate. But just as he brushed his thumb to go throw this thing away, he felt this piece of metal on his thumb. And that was when he realized he was holding a hand grenade from World War II. And you can imagine the chaos that ensued. For James, the word wisdom is kind of like that. One kind of wisdom is the real deal. The other kind just imitates. One sounds like wisdom. It, it plays the part. It, it sounds right, but the result is chaos. And he says, that's not spiritual after all. But if you want wisdom, if you want real wisdom, heavenly wisdom, godly wisdom, here's how you find it. Look back in verse 13. He says, who is wise among you? Show of hands. Here's how we'll know. Let them by their good contact, conduct show their works. Let me unpack that. For James, here's the difference between heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. He says, wisdom is not just a philosophical thought that we produce or words of knowledge that impress others. He says, true wisdom is action. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let's see. You know, the world's understanding of wisdom is really intellectual, right? It's, it's about intellectual capabilities. But for James, he says, heavenly wisdom is proven by meekness in your character. You can see it. If you've been following along at all in this series, this should not surprise us at all because James wants us to know that faith without works is what? Dead. And just as faith without works is dead, so wisdom without action is dead. It's earthly, it's meaningless, it's demonic. When I was in my teens, um, I had my wisdom teeth pulled. And I remember asking the dentist about the time I was going out of consciousness, why are they called wisdom teeth? Ever thought about that? I found out they're called wisdom teeth because they come into your mouth at an older age, right? The implication being that the older that you are, the wiser you become, and Job 12.12 12 would speak to this. Look at this. Job 12.12 12 says, wisdom is with the age and understanding comes with length of days. And yet we know, we know that age doesn't necessarily lead to wisdom, right? Let me show you what I mean. First, James asked the question, who here believes themselves to be wise? And now after they've stepped forward, he says, prove it. You say you're wise. And again, I think all of us want that. We all want a piece of that. But the question is, is your wisdom heavenly or earthly? Does it talk the talk or does it walk the walk? Again, I think when we look back at the definition of that word, we think about it in terms of our minds, right? About knowledge and thought. But James says, if it stops there, it's just earthly. It's unspiritual. True wisdom, godly wisdom is not just something in your head. It moves you. And then James lays out a blueprint of what this looks like. Look at this in verse 17. He says, heavenly, looks like, heavenly wisdom looks like a life that strives first for purity. Above all things, James says, heavenly wisdom is pure. That is to be without immorality, 
to strive for righteousness and holiness in your life, to, to strive for honorable living. 1 Timothy 4.12, you might be familiar with that one. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. Notice age doesn't matter here, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, love, faith, and purity. 1 Peter 2.12 says, this is why we do this, to keep your conduct among the unbelievers honorable so when they speak evil of you, they can see your good deeds and then be forced to glorify God on the day of his visitation. Heavenly wisdom is first that which strives to be pure. And James says it's from that purity. If we get that point, all the other virtues flow downstream from there. A wise man or a wise woman puts their wisdom to work. Look at this in verse 17. It says, if you're wise in your words, James teaches us, he says, you will be peaceful, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, impartial and sincere. Now just think about those words. Look at those words up on the screen. The wisest person in your life, do they not emulate that? See, we know wisdom when we see it because wisdom is proven by action. Even if you can't define it, even if you can't put your finger on it, you recognize it. I was sharing with Eli, our, our youth director, earlier this week, spent nearly two decades in, in youth ministry. And I, I used to tell our leaders, our adult leaders, time and time again, they may not remember a word you said, a word that you taught, but they will remember every time the love of God that you showed them with your life. But if that's wisdom, then here's the opposite of that. James paints us that picture too. He says, if this is heavenly wisdom, if heavenly wisdom is action, then here's earthly wisdom. He says, earthly wisdom is two things. It's selfish and it's jealous. It involves bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Verse 14 tells us. It's crazy to me how many times our selfish ambition is re realized and revealed in our jealousy, right? Because earthly wisdom does not move us toward God, it moves us toward self. And that kind of ambition, James says, is a fool's errand. It'll lead to chaos. But heavenly ambition, that leads to righteousness. Proverbs 9.10 says this, it says, The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That means heavenly wisdom is thy will be done. Earthly wisdom is my will be done. Heavenly wisdom says to God be the glory. Earthly wisdom says glory is all mine. And the challenge is, I think, the challenge is we all want to be wise, right? But not all of us want to be selfless. Not all of us want to be meek and humble. Just last month was the 110th anniversary of the sinking of Titanic, if I have my dates right. One of the lesser known stories of that disaster took place down in the, the engine room. The Titanic had 29 coal boilers that ran all the electricity for the ship. And to keep those things running, the room was staffed by 35 engineers. When the ship hit the iceberg, every one of them in that moment made a conscious decision to stay in the midst of the floods and continue the fight. They say those men, they kept the power running until two minutes before the ship sank, just enough time to get an SOS signal out, just enough time to keep the lights on so that the folks could get into the boats. They said without those men and their sacrifice, thousands more would have died. What wisdom are we chasing? Is it selfless motivation or selfish ambition? 
See, because it's clear by now in James' letter, if you've been following along at all, there are those in this flock who believe they have godly understanding from above. They, they believe they have wisdom. I can teach, they said. And yet they live their lives with harshness and pride and criticism and conflict and selfish desire. And James said, that kind of life is not wisdom at all. As I was processing that dichotomy, it kind of hit me. You know, the, the root of dysfunction in any given family system, whether that's church your business, your home, the chaos in any relationship always begins with selfish ambition, doesn't it? And it's always cloaked in this, this pretense of wisdom. After the rains last week, I, I took advantage of the, the wet soil. I decided to tackle the weeds in my grass. Anybody else jump on that train? By the time I was done, this is my true confession. Like I was angry, I was mad, right? And you need to know something about me. I hate dandelions. Can I get an amen? I know I just triggered some of you. You know, the bees come and they're so pretty. I hate dandelions. Because when you're trying to keep your lawn looking good, right? Dandelions are the worst. They are the definition of disorder, right? And here's the thing about dandelions. They look cute, but they're total impostures. They are not heavenly. They're the personification of evil. And I'm not done either. You know, they have these little yellow bobs that pop up from the ground. They say, look at me, I'm so cute. And the bees flavor off me. No, no, but in their deception, they begin selfishly taking over your entire lawn, do they not? Elbowing their way through the grass to seek and destroy. And then when they fully grow, right? When you think it's all over, they send out these helicopters just to get you next year. See, but what looks like flowers are actually destroyers, right? They are not heavenly. They look heavenly. They may sound heavenly, but they're earthly. They're selfish. They're greedy. They result in a front lawn full of chaos. And James says, when it comes to wisdom, there are two kinds. The first is of heaven. It's pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's submissive to the Lord. It's sincere. In wisdom, it puts God in control of your life. Like Christ, it's meek. It's full of selfless character. In James 18, the, the verse 18 tells us, and if you live it, you will reap a harvest of righteousness in your life. But the second category, earthly wisdom, James says is false. It just looks the part, but it never lives the life. It talks the talk, but it never takes legs. And it's unspiritual. And then James lands this bomb that we kind of shrink from, right? He says, and it's demonic. James says the result of that wisdom will lead to chaos in your life. And we all know chaos is anything but of the Lord. Which means the question that we should ask together is how do we get more of the one and get rid of the other? If we really wanna pursue the, the wisdom of heaven, how do we ensure that we're chasing true wisdom instead of the potato looking hand grenade? Flip back with me. I love this about this letter. James already answered the question. Look at chapter one, verse five. If you have your Bibles, otherwise we'll put it up on the screens. James chapter one, verse five. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, this is all you have to do. Just ask God. Ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to you. See, because in doing so, that's a selfless act. You begin to say, it's not my will, Lord. It's, it's thy will. A healthy fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So even Socrates said, well, the beginning of wisdom is knowing you know nothing. You have nothing apart from God. Heavenly wisdom is that which seeks God's path instead of my own. 
It's that which strives to see as God sees instead of as I see, to act as Christ would act. And it's this simple, right? James says if, if you're looking for wisdom, if that's what you crave, all you have to do is ask. If you don't believe me, let me prove it to you. You know, Solomon was one of the richest kings to live, right? The man had everything. But early on in his calling, God came to Solomon in a dream and he asked Solomon, he said, Solomon, what is it that you want? Look at this in 1 Kings. Solomon could have asked for anything of the Lord in this, this moment in his life. And this is what he prayed. He said, I'm only a little child. I'm king of all these people. I'm a young child. He said, I don't know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people, a great people, too numerous for me to even count. So here's what I need, God. He says, I need a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. Isn't that wisdom? For who, Lord, is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon says, I know nothing, God. I'm, I'm lost without you. I have nothing aside from you leading me. That's how he starts his day. So, Lord, I'm asking for one thing. Give me a discerning, selfless heart to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong. Solomon could have asked for anything. Now look at how God responds. Look at this. He says, Solomon, you, since you asked for this and you didn't ask for long life or wealth for yourself or the death of your enemies or discernment, I will give you what you asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you, not only what you have asked for, but also both wealth and honor so that in your lifetime, you will have no equal among kings. Now, if you know Solomon's life at all, you know that prayer resulted in 3,000 proverbs and in over 1,000 songs written by that one man. If that's the wisdom that God gave Solomon, how much more will he give to the believer who puts their trust in Jesus Christ, who 1 Corinthians says is the definition of wisdom? If Solomon prayed, Lord, I don't know how to go into this day. I don't know how it's going to end, but Lord, I can't do this without you. How much more should that be our prayer? God, make me a selfless human being, not a selfish human being. See, James says, if you want wisdom, if you want to know how to navigate the world around you, it begins in humility and meekness of asking it for the Lord. So here's my challenge, and I'll wrap up with this. What if we did just that? 31 Proverbs written by Solomon himself in the Bible. What if for the next 31 days we picked up one proverb, take us five minutes, read through it, and then asked before we began our day for God to give us not earthly wisdom, but heavenly wisdom. How would that transform our lives, transform our families, transform this church? I wanna close in prayer. I'll invite the band back up. I wanna ask God to help us to do that today. Let's pray for wisdom together. Will you pray with me? God, we confess we are not good at asking for directions, Lord. In our pride, we'd rather pretend to know the way, to have it all figured out. And yet, Lord, you have promised us that if we want wisdom, it begins by submitting ourselves to your will. And God, you have named us citizens, not of this world, but of, 
of the heavenly realms. And so, God, that should be our pursuit, and we ask that you would help us to do that. God, that you would give us the wisdom of Solomon, that as we follow Jesus, who is the definition of wisdom, that you would give us that kind of clarity, not only in mind, but in action. Lord, would you spur us on as we seek you? God, give us an encouragement to follow hard after you. Make us a wise people, not for our own sake, but for yours. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.